Your numbers don't add up on the blow. That was 10 years ago. If you know, you know. Yeah. If you know, you know. If you know, you Welcome back, everybody. This is AJ, better known as Bear. And this is Smarter Than The Average Bear. And uh, we're going to get right to it this week. Top five, no debating. Top five, top five, top five. All right, so we're looking at top five for this week, and I'm going to go with a little shout-out to our Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, and I'm going to go top five, my favorite all-time wide receivers. And I need to preface this by saying this is my top five favorite, not best, uh, not who the NFL or who you and your friends down at the barbershop thinks the best. This is my top five favorite wide receivers. Um, coming in at number five is going to be Larry Fitzgerald and, uh, all signs are pointing to this probably being the end for him. Um, a, a wonderful career at that, but, uh, looking like this year might be the last year of that. One of my favorite statistics ever, uh, across any sport is Larry Fitzgerald had more NFL tackles than he did drops in his career. And I think that is an astounding statistic when you start to think about it. And, you know, the number of years that he played um, and being pretty much their number one target for at least a decade, maybe almost 12, 13 years. So uh, to not have more drops and tackles is an impressive thing. And also a sad thing uh, because the Cardinals were bad for a, a good amount of those seasons and really wish Larry Fitz would have gotten a chance to get that Super Bowl win over the Steelers, but uh, still want to tip my cap to a great career if he decides to hang it up. Number four is going to be Calvin Johnson, Megatron. And I think that just, if you watch football, I mean, he's one of the most impressive specimens that's ever played receiver at that. But just the things he was able to do, um, you know, run a sub 4-4, 40-yard dash, uh, 40-something-plus-inch vertical. Like, he was just a monster on the field. Uh, and really the only solid piece outside of Matt Stafford that the Lions have ever seen since Barry Sanders. Uh, it's a shame that they didn't put more around those guys to get uh, into the playoffs and get more wins. Obviously, like that's a tough division with the Bears, the Vikings, and the Packers, but um, you can't have you know generational talents like that and not get to the playoffs and not get playoff wins. So, hate that for Calvin. Glad he hung it up before you know too much impact and, and, and things happen to his body uh, for a losing cause, but still wish he would have got to shine in a in a in an organization that was going to benefit from his capabilities. Um, wish that would have been somewhere else, but he's still making my top five because he was outstanding. Top, number three, Jerry Rice. Listen, like he's arguably one of the greatest receivers of all time, so you know he was going to make an appearance on this list. Um, I think Jerry Rice, from a tactical standpoint, is probably the best receiver in the game. And and I say that from route running, hands, the way he was able to use. You know, he didn't have any 
insane kind of like characteristics about his body. He wasn't the fastest player. He wasn't the highest jumper, but he knew how to get open. And I think as a receiver, that's probably one of the most important things that you can do outside of catching the football. And uh, I really think that Jerry Rice, like, you know, he showed what a receiver could be if you were just a tactician in in the fundamentals of route running. And if you can get yourself open, you could play a long, long time in this game. Um, I think that he also benefited from playing for some outstanding quarterbacks. So uh, there is somewhat of uh, not a knock against him, but this is something that I take into account when I do my top five and when I think about the best receivers in the game. Uh, that's not a knock on him. I just think he benefited from having some uh, insanely qualified quarterbacks to throw him the ball. But overall, obviously a tremendous a tremendous wide receiver, and he's got to make your top five list. Number two is T.O. Um, and I put T.O. at two, and I know, like, obviously he played with Jerry Rice in, in, in San Francisco and statistically, like, doesn't have everything that matches up with Jerry Rice. But I just think for... What he brought to the team, like you couldn't, you couldn't put that to the side. And it doesn't matter that he was one of the people that would, you know, constantly nag with the media or probably draw a little bit too much uh, speculation or eyeballs towards your team. Like he came out and he delivered at every stop, whether it was Dallas, whether it was uh, San Francisco, whether it was in Buffalo, whether it was in Cincy. Philly, wherever he was at, like he produced and he produced at a high level. And I think one of the reasons why I ranked T.O. so high is because the Super Bowl game coming off of uh, an injury that probably should have put him out for the rest of the year. uh, He ends up coming back early from that. I'm almost certain it was an ankle injury. Comes back early from that and really like balls out in the Super Bowl and they probably win that game if he's at 100%, but even more so than that, just just the ability to bounce back from uh, such a tough injury and still come out and produce in a Super Bowl game for your team is, I think, is one of the most incredible things that I've seen uh, from an athlete since I've been on this earth and watching football. But uh, for a guy his size, with his speed, um, what he would bring with his dances in the end zone, you know, running to the star and putting his hands up. Like, I think, like, all in all, like, T.O., from every portion of the game, from the entertainment standpoint to just being a good, great wide receiver, um, he's got to make the list, and so he's at my number two. Uh, and so that takes us to number one, which is obviously, clearly, without a doubt, Randy Moss. Uh, just probably the best receiver that I have seen hands down since I've started watching football. Uh, I've never seen someone just be able to take the top off of a defense so easily. Um, and even when you throw a ball uh, that's contested by DBs, more likely than not, he's coming down with it, which is why they they named Moss after him because uh, of his tremendous ability to go up and get the ball. Um, it also doesn't hurt that he has probably one of the greatest Thanksgiving Day games I've ever seen in my life where he had three catches for 164 yards and three touchdowns against the Cowboys. Uh, And I I truly don't think that I've seen any receiver be more dominant than he was on the field. Um, 
I think that while some people would argue he was limited in the routes that he would run, I would counter with if I knew I was faster than you and could go up and get the ball over you. I don't need to run too many routes. I'll just run the go route, and all you got to do is get it to me. Um, so that's why I'm putting Randy at one. He's my favorite receiver of all time. Uh, I'd argue that he's the best receiver of all time. But uh, since it's my top five and you guys don't have an opinion on here, uh, he's going to be at number one. So that's top five. Larry Fitz, Megatron, Jerry Rice, T.O., Randy Moss. This is top five. Let's go ahead and get into a little bit more of NFL talk. Uh, We're going to talk about the divisional weekend coming up. Um, I think we're coming off a really good uh, wild card weekend where we've seen the Bills beat the Colts. Uh, we saw the Seahawks lose at home to the Rams. Actually, that game wasn't even close. The Rams just pretty much suffocated Russ in that offense for the majority of the game. Um, that nightcap, we had the Bucks beating Washington, which we probably all saw, all saw coming, but uh, Washington did put up a pretty good fight um, in that game. It, it was closer than I expected, uh, so shout-outs to Washington. They've got a tremendous defensive line in place right now. And I think that they've got to get some stability at the quarterback position, obviously. But if they can, if their offense can begin to match what their defense has right now, they're going to be a tough team, especially, uh, you know, things are up in the air right now in the NFC East. The The Giants don't seem to have any direction. Um, Philly, they're, they're in talks between, are they going to get rid of Wentz? Is it Jalen's time? Are they going to go a different route? Uh, and Dallas is going to be with a quarterback coming off of a, a tough injury. Uh, so you never know what's going to happen with Dak there. Uh, and so I think that that division's wide open. And Washington, like I, I always say, if you've got a tremendous defensive line, you could put yourself in position to win a lot of games. And I think that Washington arguably has one of the best defensive lines in pro football right now. So they can get things ironed out on the offensive end. I really think that they could be competitive and, and you know put themselves in position to win um, that division for a few of these next years upcoming. As we look into Sunday, the Ravens, in a shocker, went into Tennessee and got the win over the Titans. Uh, the Bears, obviously, uh, lost to the Saints. Uh, but fantastic game by Nickelodeon. Uh not a lot of scoring uh, in the first half, so you didn't get to see the slime as much, but I thought it was pretty fun. I think that it's a it's a positive way to try to loop in younger audiences, which uh, I think is a great way to involve everybody into the sport. Uh, tough scene when people get hurt, and you got to explain that one uh, to a young audience, especially like for concussions and things of that nature. But luckily, I think we made it through this game without any... Um, anything that was too tragic or drastic happening in the game, but I thought it was a pretty cool idea. So I, I, I'd give the Nickelodeon and uh, NFL pat on the back for, um, that was a really thought out, well thought out, um, idea that they put into place. And then the night game, uh, it, even more of a shocker, the Browns go into Pittsburgh and just, I mean, whoop up on the Steelers. Um, Starting at 28-0 really beefs up your chances to win your first playoff game in 18 years. Uh, and the Browns, I mean, for, for not having a head coach, um, not having a lot of your star players, being down some offensive linemen, getting offensive linemen hurt in the game, I thought the Browns did a, a, a great job of, of really controlling the pace and the 
and the rhythm of that game for most of it. I think, you know, during the third quarter, they got a little bit complacent and the Steelers started to make a run. But every time that they needed to to respond and and get something back so that they could, you know, put a stop to this Steelers run, they were able to do. And I think, you know, Baker's really got those guys playing well right now. Going to be tough seeing them win any games moving forward. But I think if you're a Browns fan, you've got to be excited about where you're at right now. Hopefully you get Odell back, get some more guys healthy, uh, beef up your defense a little bit more, and and make a run at that division again um, as you look into next year. So when we look at the divisional weekend, this upcoming weekend, we've got the Rams going to Green Bay uh, to face a well-rested Aaron Rodgers and, and team. Uh, and also the Ravens going to Buffalo. Those are both the Saturday night game. Uh, the Rams and Green Bay game is going to present an interesting matchup because uh, Jalen Ramsey probably is going to trail uh, Devontae Adams the entire game. I would think so, at least. Um, and, I th- and I think that presents an interesting matchup because he's obviously Aaron Rodgers' number one threat target. Uh, and if they can lock him down... Uh, which not many teams have been able to do, but if they can lock him down, they give themselves a chance to win that game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what we get out of Jared Goff, you know, coming off of a quick turnaround from his thumb surgery. It's also being up there. I'm, I'm going to go out on a branch and say it's going to be single digits or the negatives as far as how cold it's going to be. Uh, and just not a lot of teams are successful going up to that atmosphere and playing, uh, when they're not used to it. And I think the Rams are, are far from used to that coming from Southern California. So I think that that game bodes well for green Bay. I'm taking them probably by 10 or more. I just think that their offense is just playing outstanding right now. Aaron Rodgers is going to win MVP and he looks locked in, man. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt being able to play at home the entire uh, playoffs. And so, you know, with all those things stacked against the Rams, I just don't foresee them going into Green Bay and getting a win. So then that'll take us to the night game, which is the Ravens at the Bills. Uh, I'm going to take the Bills here only because I think their defense is good enough to take away the run and make Lamar have to throw to beat them. Uh, I thought Lamar threw the ball pretty well uh, this past weekend at Tennessee. There, You know, early he, he had a uh, awful interception, but I think he settled down and made some better throws throughout the game. I just don't think he's going to be able to make enough of those throws in order to beat the Bills next weekend. But I will say it does bode well for the guy that he's got his first win now, so he's got that monkey off of his back, and he might just be able to go out there and play freely, which is always scary when you've got a guy with his type of talent and athleticism and not really having anything holding him back. He's just able to go out there and play, play freely. Uh, so it could present some problems, but I think I'm going to take the Bills in that one. Probably a little bit closer game. I would say around 10 points, but uh, be interesting for those two. And for Sunday next week, we've got the first game is going to be the Browns at the Chiefs. Like I mentioned before, the Browns look very good uh, early against the Steelers this past weekend. But I think this is just a different animal when you're looking at going into Kansas City and trying to beat the, you know, the reigning champions. Uh, 
Mahomes can just beat you in so many different ways. That offense and Mahomes, excuse me, can beat you in so many different ways. And I think their defense is it's comparable enough to be able to get stops when they need it. Um, so barring like another 28-0 start, uh, I think the Chiefs probably run away with this one. I would say closer to 13, 14 points um, on this victory. But it will be interesting to see getting the Browns head coach back and, and getting some of those pieces back, hopefully uh, seeing how healthy they're going to be on that offensive line. We could see them put up more of a match. Uh, I don't think so, but um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And then on Sunday uh, night, we'll have Tampa Bay going back to New Orleans to play the Saints. Um, I don't know if you if you all have caught up with this kept up with this series for the last two matchups of this year, but the Saints have pretty much whooped Tom Brady's ass both times. Um, and I know it's hard to beat the team three times. I know it's hard to beat Tom Brady three times. But I don't think I can pick against the Saints in this game, seeing what they've done to Tom Brady over the last two games. I don't know if it's matchups. I don't know if it's um, schematically what it is. But he just doesn't seem comfortable playing against the Saints. And the way that they've been able to just beat him up in the pocket and not really let him look downfield uh, – I find it it's going to be hard for them to go out and win this game. And so I'm going to roll with the Saints in this one. I do think it'll be closer than uh, the, the previous two matchups. I don't think it's going to be a blowout in favor of the Saints. I definitely think it's going to be a closer game. But I still expect New Orleans to come out on top and shape up a, a pretty solid-looking uh, AFC-NFC championship weekend the following weekend uh, with some great matchups. I'll be interested to see how these picks turn out. If I go 0-4, just know that this podcast will self-destruct. You'll never be able to go back and find these picks again. If I go 4-0, I'll definitely let you all know about it every single time I record. Um, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking for the NFL this week. Um, I'm going to take a quick break here, run some ads, and then we'll be right back for our main segment. All right, and we're back. This is AJ, better known as Bear, and this is Smarter Than the Average Bear. And for the main segment here, we're going to look at none other than the college football playoff championship game. Uh, it's going to feature Alabama, of course, and Ohio State, which I think for some people, including myself, is probably a little bit of a shocker. Um, I definitely thought that Clemson had the edge going into their matchup on the first, but I will say... Justin Fields, uh, he, he proved me wrong. He came into that game and, and absolutely went bonkers on Clemson and, you know, threw for six touchdowns and, and, and truly just looked comfortable the entire game. I can't stress that enough. Like, he looked comfortable. And as good as Clemson's been over the years and as good as they, you know, have looked when they were talking about going into this game and as good as they have – been historically in the playoffs. Um, this one was a tough one. I thought they matched up well with Ohio State to begin with, but um, I was wrong, and I, I, I don't mind admit, admit that. Ohio State went in there, and they just beat up on Clemson, and uh, while I'm happy to see that that Clemson lost and Dabo's out, um, I, w I, I can't front and say that I wasn't shocked. Um, so that sets up our national championship matchup. 
Bama obviously coming into this game is 12 and 0. Their matchup in the first round of the playoffs was with Notre Dame. Ended up 31 to 14. I thought Alabama looked really good at the beginning of that game. Thought they got a little bit sluggish uh, at the end. Uh, I, I don't think that they felt like Notre Dame could get back in the game, but it would have made me a little bit more comfortable to see them kind of put their foot on Notre Dame's throat. Uh, so I was a little bit disappointed to see that out of them, but I think all in all, they're you know they're where they had set out to be at the beginning of the year, and so you can't really argue with the ends justifying the means there. Um, Ohio State coming in seven and zero. Obviously, like we just talked about, their last win versus Clemson. Some some things that I want to look at as as we kind of look at this game coming in today. Um, how is Sark taking the the Texas job going to affect Alabama? Now I know that he's still going to coach in this game, but there like there's got to be something to that where you know a guy's already got one foot out the door. Like, how does that affect how he's calling the game? You know, if things go wrong or people, you know, are there thoughts in the back of their mind? Like, was he already halfway thinking about Texas? Um, If he's calling different kind of plays, like, where's his mindset at? Um, I think there's a lot of things that play into that. Um, Not saying that he's going to go out there and shave points, because that's obviously not true. But I think there is something to be said about, like, a coach. Like, he clearly already has objectives to start working and, and being Texas's head coach. Um, how does that bode with him going into this game still coaching for Alabama? I think that's, you know, that's a question that's going to get answered and probably be, probably be brought up quite a bit during the, the telecast of the game on Monday night. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays into it. Um, I think from a, another point standpoint is what will – Alabama's offense, or excuse me, what will Alabama's defense look like um, against the top talented teams this year that they face all, from an offensive standpoint? Uh, they gave up 46 to Ole Miss, and they gave up 46 to Florida. And I bring that up because from an offensive standpoint, uh, Ohio State is ranked higher than both of those teams in offensive efficiency. And so when you think about how Alabama struggled to stop the amount of points that those teams were putting up, uh, you'd probably admit that uh, Ohio State's definitely got better talent than Ole Miss from an offensive standpoint, Uh, probably comparable to Florida. But I think where they differ from Florida is they have a run game that you know, over the last couple of weeks has looked outstanding. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what Alabama's defense does there. Um, and then the third kind of big question that I want to bring up is uh, Alabama's run game. You know, obviously they want to establish the run. They want to get Najee rolling early. Uh, they want to, you know, lean on him, which was going to open up their pass game. Um, and I bring that up because, Clemson only had 44 yards rushing against Ohio State. Uh, And I would say that it's not any shocking amount of evidence for me to say that Clemson's run game is probably more profound than Alabama's from the standpoint that Trevor Lawrence can beat you with his feet as well as ETN could as well. And so there's more design runs for Trevor. You would expect them to have 
uh, more than 44 yards against that Ohio State team or against any team in general. Um, and so for Alabama, which is really, you know, one track minded in their running game where it's it's pretty much all Najee or nobody. Um, how will that bode against Ohio State? And, and, and honestly, that Ohio State front four is what I'm really looking at here. Want to see how they put up a fight against Alabama's run game and see if um, they can prevent Najee from having another breakout game like he's had pretty much the entire season. Some questions that I got for, from the Ohio State side is, how are they going to follow up this win? Um, and I know that's stupid to say, like, oh, how are they going to get pumped up for the national championship? Like, yeah, it's a national championship. Sure, they'll be excited to play in it. But um, this really reminds me of the Wisconsin and Kentucky game in basketball in 2015. And I say that because Wisconsin was – in 2014, Wisconsin was, you know, on track to go to the championship game. They were really rolling as a team. And then this Kentucky team that probably was outplaying their expectations comes in and beats Wisconsin on a last second kind of three point shot uh, to send themselves to the finals. And the next year, you know, Kentucky trots out this team that's 38-0 and and really just probably one of the, if not the best uh, college basketball team that I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, and Wisconsin wins the game in the Final Four, which, you know, gives UK their only loss of the season. And I bring this up because Wisconsin had to suffer with that defeat from 2014 for a full year. And I'm sure when the brackets rolled out and they saw Kentucky on their side of the bracket and they were like, if we could just get to the Final Four, we know they're going to be there and we'll get our revenge. And they get to that game and they play their tails off in that game. And, you know, there's some calls here and there that I think they, you know, could have went our way, of course. But in the end, Wisconsin wins that game. And I bring it up because the next game is the, is the national championship and they're playing Duke and you just don't see that same intensity, that same amount of effort, that same desire to win the game as you did against Kentucky. And, you know, it, it has to mean something when you had to suffer for a defeat for an entire year and you come back and you get that victory over that, that person that you've been having on your chalkboard and writing down that score. How do you follow that up? And, you know, We'd be lying if we didn't say that Ohio State had Clemson marked on their board. I'm sure they knew that, hey, if we get to the Final Four and we get to this playoffs, like we know we'll probably see Clemson. And so how will they now deal with playing Alabama coming off of that high? I think that's, you know, that's a question that's got to be, be able to be answered. Another one is what will we see out of, oh, excuse me, and to another point on that, that Clemson thing, or the Clemson game, they were 0-3 against Clemson up until that point. They had lost last year, and they had also uh, got their doors blown off another time in the college football playoffs by Clemson. So this was a long time coming for them to finally get a win over Clemson, uh, which I think, again, they they 100% deserved and went out there and just beat up on Clemson. But it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from that game onto another tough, tough opponent in Alabama. Another question I got for Ohio State is, uh, is Justin Fields and Trey Sermon, are they going to continue with this like special outbreak that they've had over the last two games? Um, 
I know Justin Fields is a tremendous quarterback, and you know, even last, I think this year might be the anomaly because between last year and uh, this championship game, it's pretty consistent where he's not turning the ball over and he's being effective throwing downfield and using his legs. Uh, but obviously, like this this past game against Clemson stands out like six touchdowns, just completely in the moment and and unbothered by anything that Clemson was doing. Um, but also Trey Sermon, like just rushing for I think damn near like 500 yards over the last two games. Like he's just been, he's probably been more of an impact than anybody else on that Ohio State team. And I think that um, it'll be interesting to see if that's going to continue. Like if Trey Sermon's running for you know 150, 200 yards, like yeah, they're probably going to beat Alabama. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I think the last time that Ohio State beat Alabama. One of the reasons why is just because Zeke just went absolutely insane against that team. And then also, like, they had a guy, 12-gauge, who could take hits from that Alabama team, but also use his legs to pick up first downs against that Alabama defense and also stretch the field with his arm. Um, And I think that Fields is able to do a lot of those same things. Uh, It'll be interesting to see if he's still healthy uh, from taking that big shot to the ribs or to the hit by Clemson. Um, see how he's going to bounce back from that and be able to still utilize his legs um, when they've got the ball on the offensive end. But what will they be able to contribute to this game to really push that team over the top is something that I'll be definitely interested in looking into. And then the, the last thing that I'm really focused on for Ohio State is, is anybody in that secondary going to step up? Um, if you If you listen to last week's show, I really pointed out Sean Wade and saying, like, hey, he's going to be one of the people that I think is a key player for this game. Um, he's going to have to be because, you know, Clips is going to stretch the ball downfield. They've got a lot of weapons. Ohio State needs somebody to be able to take some of those away. And I thought that was going to be Sean Wade. Uh, but I really feel like he got exposed a lot in that game. And, and I know Clemson still, you know, wasn't necessarily ever in striking distance to win that game. But... You know, a lot of times when Clemson was stretching the ball downfield and getting big chunk yard completions, it was at the, the neck of Sean Wade. And I think that we'd all be lying if we didn't say that Alabama's got better talent uh, on the perimeter right now than Clemson. So, you know, if I'm Sean Wade, it's a gut check time. You've got to be able to show up this week and, and really be able to put your team in a position to win which is going to roll into, that's why he's one of my top players. Uh, I have him listed as the MVP for Ohio State. If he plays an outstanding game, Ohio State's got a chance to win this game. Because with, I would say he's going to be, he's Ohio State's best secondary player. He's probably going to trail Devontae for the most part. If he plays an All-American type, outstanding type, out-of-world type game, they've got an outstanding chance to win this game. And so my eyes are going to be glued on 24, seeing what he's able to do. Along with him, obviously, like we're still looking at Justin Fields and Trey Sermon as top players for the Ohio State team. What are they going to be able to do um, as kind of like a uh, an encore from the game that they had with Clemson? But also like uh, Alave and Wilson, um, you know, they're tremendous out there on the perimeter in in their own right. And it'll be interesting to see because I don't really think Alabama's defensive backs are as outstanding as they've had in the past. And, you know, um, 
yeah, their defense is ranked in the top 20 in, in efficiency, but I still think that there's a lot of holes in the secondary that can get exposed. And so in order to you know have a chance to win these games, you got to have big-time games from those people. I've yet to see Garrett Wilson not just make outstanding plays in the college playoffs when he's gotten his opportunity. So I think that it's only it's only right that I expect that out of him tomorrow. But also Chris Olave, like he's got to be able to come come in and you know really work the middle of the field and expose that Alabama's defense where I think they can be attacked, which is in the seams and and across the middle. And then my last kind of top player, uh, which I'm gonna preference by saying this is players, is that Ohio State defense. Um, we've yet to see somebody really stop Alabama from what they're trying to do. And it's the last game of the season. Is Ohio State going to be the team to be able to do it? I I don't necessarily know uh, what formula is going to work, but they've got to try something. And you got to throw everything out there and see what sticks for 60 minutes and, and, and do your damnedest to go out there and get a win. Top players from the Alabama side, um, come on now, Devontae. Like, he's the Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. I think they got it right. So shout out to the Heisman Trophy um, board or whatever. Like I think they got it right, and the voters they got it right. He's been the most outstanding player all year, and I think he deserved to win it. He's got one game left in his career in an Alabama uniform. Like I expect him to do the things he's done before. Um, I've yet to see a team stop him. I think that, in my opinion, Stingley is probably one of the best DBs in the country. And I know he's only a sophomore, and I know LSU's defense wasn't that good this year, but they were tremendous last year. And both years, Devontae absolutely abused him um, in that game against LSU. So it's going to be hard for me to expect somebody from Ohio State to stop him, but it wouldn't shock me if Ohio State kind of blanketed him with someone underneath and someone over top all night and just made Mac Jones beat you throwing the ball elsewhere, which Takes me into my next uh, top player. It's going to be Mac Jones. Uh, you know, he's been tremendous for what this offense needs over the course of this year. Um, he's been able to step up and make the big throws when they need it. Uh, he really gets their offense flowing, gets them in the rhythm that they need to go. He doesn't ever seem flustered or, or out of rhythm for the most part. Uh, and he's got to do that one more game. Uh, it'll be interesting to see because I, I, I think this is going to be one of the best defensive lines he's faced. Um, it'll be interesting to see if he can still do the things uh, by working the ball downfield if he doesn't have as much time as he's previously previously had, um, as well as he's got to be able to lengthen plays with his feet. And that, that's not necessarily scrambling for first downs, but just stepping up in the pocket, moving around in the pocket, just to you know provide that extra second or two to look downfield to throw to your targets. Najee Harris is number three on my list here, obviously. Like, I think that team goes as he goes. He's got to get rolling early and often uh, and and do what Alabama does, which is just run the ball and wear down your opponent. Um, Najee is tremendous in the fact that not only can he run between tackles, but he can catch the ball at the backfield like damn near like a receiver. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how many crafty new ways they get him introduced into the offense uh, this week. And I'm really interested to see like what they're able to do um, to get him easier looks against a team that really shut down E.T. in a week ago. My fourth person on the top players list is going to be Patrick Sertan. And the reason why I've got him on here is the same as Sean Wade. Uh, I think both of these teams and their defenses, 
they've been exposed for a little bit to to the I guess for the last week or so to see like, hey, are we able to actually stop people? Um, Alabama, for the most part, gets by because they they end up running the score up, so you know they're getting into passing situations, uh, and you can kind of sit on routes when you know that as a DB, and you can dial up a little bit more pressure up front, and you know that ball's coming out in three, four seconds, you could jump a lot of routes. Uh, I think that's going to be different this game. So when Patrick's going to actually have to guard people um, longer than four seconds, like what happens? Is he going to get beat over top? Like there's been holes in this secondary, and I've talked about them numerous numerous times. So it's not to say that they've been perfect, Um, and it's really going to boil down to which one of these top-tier DBs really steps up. Is it going to be – Sean Wade, or is it going to be Patrick Sertan? And, and I think that, you know, that can really dictate who wins this game uh, tomorrow night. And my MVP for Alabama, uh, it's going to be a shocker to you all. It's Jalen Waddle, guys. Like, without a doubt, if he plays in this game, that puts Ohio State way behind the eight ball. Because... I mean, I think we'd all be lying if he if we didn't say that he was probably the top receiving threat on this Alabama team coming into the year that we all had our eye on. And he's been out since the first play of the Tennessee game. Um, he's back. He's practicing. And honestly, if he's at 85% health, he's going to be a problem for this Ohio State defense that's already struggling in the back end. And when you add that guy into the mix – with the weapons that Alabama has, it just it just makes it that much tougher to stop this team. Uh, so if he plays, it's 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 going to be tough sledding for that team to get a win, um, and that team being Ohio State. And so that's why he's my MVP uh, from from a selfish uh, standpoint that I have no uh, you know rhyme or reason to who wins this game, nor do I care, uh, but. From a fan standpoint, I would love to see Jalen Waddle play in this game. Uh, I know my former co-host Kevin thinks otherwise, and he would hate that I just jinxed that on the podcast, but I think he understands. <laughs> and so, for my reasons on how to win um, with Alabama, it's the same as last week. DWWD, do what we do. Uh, from the offensive standpoint, you've just got to go out there and play your game offensively. There's not been anybody that stopped you up until this point now. So why would you change anything up? Like continue to do what you've done, uh, establishing the run game, stretching people vertically, uh, running those deep drag routes with all your speed on the perimeter, and just, you know, really go out there and run your offense. Point number two is going to be don't let Justin Fields get comfortable. You know, when he's in rhythm and he doesn't feel pressed, he's going to torch you like he did Clemson. That the kid can play. He's an outstanding quarterback. Like I think that a lot of people looked at some of the things that happened early in this year and really held that against him more than everything that he did last year. Um, all in all, he can play ball. Uh, so if you don't make him uncomfortable and you know give him tougher reads and and show him different things up front so that he doesn't feel as you know easy and and, and and comfortable in that pocket. Like if you're not going to give him uh, different things to focus on during the game, well, he's going to light you up and it's going to make it a lot tougher for your defense to get stops. If that's the case. Uh, and then my final way is no special teams mistakes. 
Alabama, they've been pretty good on special teams this year. Uh, seem to have found a kicker now. Got a decent punter. Like, you just got to be you got to be clean in that area. You can't, you know, have bad kickoffs out of bounds to give Ohio State good starting position. You can't have shank punts. You can't have missed field goals or blocked field goals, uh, mishandled snaps, things of that nature. Like, you got to be clean there. Um, but those are my three vict- keys to victory for Alabama. As for Ohio State, number one's run the ball. Like, the last two games that they've played – They've looked unstoppable when they've been able to run the ball. And you got, like I said, this this Alabama defense is not the same as we've seen in other years. I think they can be ran on. Like, I think you can get yards uh, by running the ball in between the tackles. And that's not something that we've normally been able to say about Alabama. And so I think first and foremost, you've got to be able to establish the run. If you cannot run the ball against this team, it's going to be hard for you to win. Point two is no free passes, no free possessions. Like, you can't turn the ball over. You can't do stupid things that prevent you from moving the ball downfield and extending uh, possessions. You can't have bad drops or bad starts to your drive that that, that end you up in three and outs. Like, you just can't have those things, especially against a team that's going to put up a lot of points. Like, you don't want to give them any more opportunities then, you know, come in a normal game because you've made mistakes on the offensive side. So that's going to be my point there of, of what you want to try to avoid. And then the three, some make somebody other than Devontae beat you in the passing game, at least. Uh, I'm not saying that Najee Harris can't beat you if he's running the ball because obviously, like, he 100% can. But when when Mac Jones is dropping back to, to throw the ball, like, it's got to be Michi or somebody that's beating you in the passing game. It can't be Devontae beating you. Now, that goes with a grain of salt because if Jalen Waddle's playing, he can beat you in the passing game. Uh, I'm just speaking from what they've trotted out the last couple weeks. Um, if it's the same team that they've put out without Jalen Waddle, then you've got to make somebody other than Devontae beat you in the passing game. So with all that aside, we're looking at Alabama – Versus Ohio State, the spread is the Alabama minus eight, and the over/under is seventy-five. Uh, my prediction is I'm taking Alabama. Uh, I'm taking them to cover, and I think both teams are going to score a lot of points, so we'll have the over. My projection is going to be, uh, I'm going to go forty-nine, thirty-eight, Alabama. And like I said before, if that's wrong, this whole section will self-destruct. And you'll know that I obviously picked Ohio State to win. And I'll tell you about it every week. All right. And last but not least, we want to finish up this this episode with another edition of People Matter. Um, It seems to be a segment that's been a favorite of some of my listeners uh, over the last week. And so I'm glad that I had a lot of input from some of you all. Uh, if anybody else has stories or things that they want to point out, I'd love for you to send it my way. Uh, but this week's an interesting one. It's not necessarily just a one person thing, but I wanted to give a shout out and give my people matters this week to Il- the state of Illinois in general. But uh, this story is uh, a tweet that came from Governor J.B. Pritzker, excuse me, Pritzker. Um, he announced that over the last year, they have expunged 
492,000 low-level cannabis-related records uh, just in the past year, which was four years ahead of schedule from where they intended to be. Uh, If you guys are unaware, January 1st, Illinois uh, finally rolled out their medical and recreational uh, cannabis purchases statewide. Uh, And this was one of the initiatives backing that rollout was to try to do what's right and go back and expunge a lot of these records uh, related to cannabis related uh, either arrest or spots on people's records uh, from something that now is not only legalized in their state, but becoming a little bit more uh, nationwide legalized. And so not only did they do that, but they also pardoned over two over, excuse me, 20,000 low-level convictions uh, since signing that Illinois recreational leg- legislation that led to the January 1 rollout. Along those same lines, in that same time period, Jan- January of 2020 to November of 2020, because the December statistics have not yet come in, uh, the state of Illinois has reported 582226000 $511 made in revenue from legalized sales, and that's in 11 months. Now, why that's important is because I was in Chicago in January of last year when they were rolling this out. And as we were walking around and, and you know, taking in the city, um, we come across some people that were standing in line uh, at a dispensary get to chatting with them, talking to them about, you know, what they were doing and come to find out there was a three and a half hour wait to just get into the dispensary, uh, which I don't know if any of you have ever gone into a dispensary or been around one, but typically, uh, in times that I've been to, you know, California, Denver, places like that, you can just walk in pretty regularly or sit in a little waiting room for about five minutes and then probably just walk in. I don't know of any other state that had a waiting list to be able to purchase uh, marijuana or anything legalized, especially not a three and a half hour one. So I bring that up to say, imagine how much money they could have made if some things were ironed out a little bit more at the beginning of the year. And another reason why I bring this up is because I think that the two states that I love and, and really pretty much call home are Tennessee and Kentucky, um, both struggling somewhat uh, in some areas that I think that being able to have legalization uh, be in the conversation and maybe become available would go a long way to help out these states. And the reason why I say this, if you look, uh, according to the 2019 U.S. News report, Tennessee rate. 43rd in healthcare, 35th in education, 12th in economy, and they were 30th overall out of 50 states in their rankings once averaged out. For Kentucky, they were 44th in healthcare, 38th in education, 39th in economy, and they were 40th overall out of 50 states uh, in that ranking in 2019 reason why I bring that up is because Kentucky, uh, as, as of 2016, Kentucky and Tennessee, along with one other state, which was Colorado, 
had over 100 acres in hemp production. That's only three states. And I think Colorado, when they initially rolled out their legalization, they had to pay money back because they made so much. And I just think of those healthcare and those education numbers and where they could be if you opened up this capability to have, uh, you know, something that's going to eventually become federally legalized, I think, in my, in, a, in my lifetime. And I think that it would bode well for states like Kentucky and Tennessee to be ahead of the curve when rolling this out because then you can start to pull a lot of these people in bordering states. Tennessee borders seven states. You could pull a lot of those people that border the states into your state to come spend money and only increase the amount of revenue that you're bringing in which hopefully could be applied to things like your healthcare and your education so that you don't end up in the bottom third uh, of the states overall every year uh, when you look at how they stand from an economical and a healthcare standpoint. Um, I know that's not necessarily what the, uh, the People Matters uh, initiative was brought up to be, but I thought that the statistics pretty, you know, honestly jumped off the page to me uh, I thought it was a story that I would love to share with you all. Uh, I think Illinois is doing a great thing by expunging a lot of those records and, you know, removing those stains from off of people's lives so that they can move forward and have opportunities without um, worrying about some of those issues. And I also think that um, with the amount of revenue that they're claiming just after year one, there's so much possibility that other states could could have and could see um as we look into this into the future. And I really would love to see that for the States that I love and call home. That's going to do it for episode two. Um, again, I appreciate you all tuning in. If you could please, 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 please rate and review this podcast, whether it's on Spotify, Apple music, or whatever platform you listen to it on. If they've got a, a rating and reviewing section, please, I would implore you to go there. I'd love for you to leave me a five-star rating if you feel so inclined to leave me anything but a five-star, just wait, and then maybe you'll hear an episode that'll, that'll warrant the five-star rating. Um, but I'd appreciate it if you guys can go on there and leave something for me. Um, as always, I hope y'all are out there have, staying safe. Have a great week. Enjoy the game today, and uh, we'll see you soon.